I am Elise D'Alessandro Santiago of Ready to Stare, and the thirst is real. So I don't understand the TikTok. Like, I know I'm going to sound like I'm 63 years old, but literally I just don't get it, didn't get it. And what's funny is like a year before quarantine, before TikTok kind of blew up, David was telling me, you should look into this TikTok thing. It's going to be like the new thing. Um, Of course, I didn't listen to him because... I don't know. That's a whole different podcast for a whole different day. But basically, I neglected it. It it literally is like manic. It doesn't make sense. And the things that blow up on TikTok, I don't understand. Like, like for Charlie D'Amelio, she is a very beautiful woman, but she's very basic to me. And she's just doing eight counts in her bathroom. And that's what's blowing up when there are real talented dancers out there that are doing really cool things with really cool edits And it's a full production and this chick in her bathroom is getting like millions of views. It's like, I personally don't get it. Like I'm out of touch with reality. Anyway, the reason for the story is, um, as you know, we have the Thirst Boy box, a subscription box for the gays, by the gays. All the products in there are, you know, from gay brands and companies. We really were working the Instagram, Facebook kind of angle in terms of like social content. Then someone's like, you know, you really need to do the TikTok. Oh, this whole time, everyone's like, the TikTok, the TikTok, the TikTok. And it's like, okay, all right, okay, I'll try the TikTok. So we tried the TikTok, and the TikTok actually blew up the first one that we did. But not only did it blow up, it converted to sales. Like, so that to me is a success. And then now I just realized, like, I am not linked to a world that I don't understand. And now, even though it's been good for the business, I still can't understand it. And it's really frustrating. And I feel out of touch with reality. And now I feel like my grandma when, when we're talking about the Instagram and the Facebooks, like that's me and the TikToks. I don't get it. It took me like literally, I'm not even exaggerating a good 13 minutes to find the TikToks that I like on my profile. Like I was like, where do they all go? So yeah, long story short, if you are one of these people that are on the TikTok, please hit me up with like some accounts to follow or what to do on there or or, like, I just don't get it. Anyway, let's talk about today's guest. I mean, she is an influencer. She is a powerhouse. She's a spokesperson. She's a model. She's a writer. And usually like I hate kind of these influencers that are like, I do all of these things, but she can back it up. She is featured in Good Morning America, Vice, Allure, People, BuzzFeed, Glamour. She's had her personal designs featured on Nylon Magazine. It is the creator of Ready to Stare. And really, our conversation is so interesting. We talk a lot about kind of labels at first, kind of her work with the LGBT community. I ask, like, you know, there's a lot of things. Like, is plus size offensive? And my favorite part about the conversation is we talk about taking ownership of words that have hurt and haunt us. So we get into kind of this really cool dialogue in terms of like me taking ownership of the word faggot and then her taking ownership of the word fat. And it really is, I don't know, just one of my favorite, like this is the best part about doing this podcast, especially with this kind of LGBT angle is talking to hustlers that are just out there doing the damn thing. 
So before I dive into our chat, make sure you hit that subscribe button. If you're not doing so already, you can give me a follow at Anil Joshua, or you can follow at Thirst Boy to learn more about the Thirst Boy box, the subscription box for the gays, by the gays. But without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with Elise D'Alessandro Santiago, the creator of Ready to Stare. Hello. Hi. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Good. First off, thank you for taking the time. I know you're very, very busy, so (laughs) I'm very excited to chat with you today. Thanks for having me. No problem. Okay, so I just like to dive in with my guests with a little rapid fire moment. So it's going to be a this or that situation and you kind of just tell me what you're thinking. Okay. Are you a morning or a night person? 100% night person. Okay, night out here. In social media, would you choose Facebook or Twitter? I think Twitter. I find myself getting more distracted by Twitter. For sure. Right. Uh, <laughs> Instagram or TikTok? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I would say Instagram just because we have a longer relationship together. So Fair yeah. enough, fair enough. Do you have a favorite reality TV personality? Oh, my goodness. Just one? I don't know. You know, I love, I love the house. I love reality TV. I just love it as like an escape. Right. But yeah, I mean, when I used to be homesick, I lived in Atlanta for a while. When I used to be homesick, I would watch The Real Housewives of New Jersey and Mob Wives because I just loved to hear Italian women yelling at each other and made me feel Same. very at home. <laughs> so I will like give a shout out to my Italian Americans on reality TV because y'all represent us in a way that feels like home I will say so (laughs) yeah and and, you know Italian culture is just so fun to watch they love hard they fight hard it is just great reality tv it feels it feels real so you know I know people were so mad when Jersey Shore first came out and I was like yeah I get it like they're messy but like we're all messy in a way and also like they're Italian and they're fun and I love it so (laughs) right what's the last show you binge watched a good question I watched uh Bly Manor okay that but I was like not really keeping up with the plot points other than like wanting the two the two lead girls to get together that was all I cared about right. at all <laughs> so uh yeah I binge watched that and I was like what's going on don't really care about this person in the lake but when are these two girls gonna kiss that was pretty right. much about. yeah it was a moment it was a moment it was okay would you rather detect any lie told or get away with telling any lie detect lies told I'm a pretty trusting person so I'm really gullible so yeah I would it's like being able to detect other people's lies would be great because I don't have that skill innately and I'm a terrible liar so I just don't even try <laughs> yeah, same same I want to know how you're fooling me at all times yes exactly true love or being filthy rich Oh, that is tough, but I'll say true love. Cute. I love that. Rich experiences. (laughs) When it comes to aging, would you rather age from the neck up only or the neck down only? I don't know. I never thought about it. I don't really care. I'm going to age. So, yeah. You're going to age everywhere. I mean, we all are, indefinitely. (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather lose your ability to see or your ability to hear? I think my ability to hear. Um, I'm really a visual person. So, I think that it would be really hard for me not to see. Um, That's really how I process things, so. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, you get good news. Who is your first call? (gasps) Oh my God. 
probably my husband. I should say that, right? Right. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I would call him and 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 share the good news for sure. But but I almost feel like good news. It depends because there's some people who you. I always want the first call to be excited, and not to say my husband isn't always excited, but you know, there's just things that that he doesn't understand the same way like my creative collaborators do. So so I think right. it's circumstantial, but yeah. Yeah, like when a housewife likes one of my photos and I call my husband to freak out, he could not care. So I have to call yes. one of my hello housewife junkies. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so congrats, you have built such a really, really cool brand and it kind of really straddles, you know, this concept of being your authentic self. Uh, you are part of the queer community and you also are just kind of, you know, owning your body in this I hate saying body positivity because I feel like it's almost become like a buzzword you know what I mean Mm -hmm. but it really is the concept of just being authentic and loving yourself to the core of it so young queer people are you know there's social media all this world what is one piece of advice you'd give them in terms of really kind of digging inward and trying to kind of you know unleash this authentic self there is no one way to be queer and that is something that I wish I would have known when I was younger and when I was coming out and something I still remind myself. I think it's so easy, especially on social media, to see representations, even on like lesbian meme accounts and think, oh, I have to relate to that. I have to wear burks and flannels or I'm not a queer woman. And at the end of the day, like we don't all look the same. We don't all love the same. And this community is really varied and that's part of the beauty. So I think there's so much pressure when you're first coming out that you like have to look and act a certain way. And so I just want youth to know that like you are valued as you are and who you are is important and your individuality is important. So you are queer enough and you are queer just as you are. So don't succumb to that pressure of like, you have to look or be a certain way to be accepted. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so happy you said that. Cause it's like, you see these, like, especially for gay men, you'll see these like viral grinder meme pages and right. stuff. You know what I mean? And it's like, wait, I don't get this. You almost feel like you're left out, but yes. you're right. There is no cookie cutter mold. And like, Literally, once you shed that, it becomes easier. Yes, for sure. So I told you, I kind of am like over kind of this body positivity buzzword. But to you, what does that mean when somebody says body positivity? So yeah, it is definitely become this buzzword that people almost misuse. But really, the history is that body positivity is for the liberation of all bodies. This it goes along with this idea that all bodies are good bodies, but not all bodies are treated equally. And that's the part that's really important. I think a lot of people confuse self-love with body positivity. You being a thin, white, cisgender, straight woman loving her her body that might be slightly bigger than a size two, that's self-love. Your body is not necessarily discriminated against for looking the way that it does. You might not fit the general mold of what beauty is, but you are not discriminated against for your body. That is self-love. Body positivity is I am actively working to dismantle the systems that are in place that harm larger bodied people, people in non-normative bodies, trans folks, non-binary folks. Like we're getting rid of the language that is harmful 
around bodies, the discrimination that happens to people with larger non-normative bodies. Like we're getting rid of these ideas. So to me, body positivity is an action and you are actively working to change this conversation and change the laws and change the policies so that people can experience freedom and equal treatment and not be treated differently because of the, the way their body looks. Right. It's almost like, you know, trying to alter the stigma attached to it or just remove the stigma indefinitely. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I don't know how to go about this question, but for example, like in, do you ever watch America's Next Top Model? Of course. (laughs) So, you know, they would always say like plus size models for, you know, if you weren't the traditional model at that time (laughs) when the show aired. And then now I, you know, some people think that plus size is offensive. What do you prefer? What term do you prefer in terms of just like plus size, curvy, like what is the correct way to kind of address this, you know? So that's a great question. I'm so glad that you asked it. A lot of people don't really understand the history of the word plus size. The word plus size was created in the 1920s by Lane Bryant as a way to basically tell women at the time, like we carry your size. So if you are above a size 12, you are plus size. There's nothing wrong with being plus size. The only thing that... only reason why we see people wanting to rid get rid of that label is because of the stigma that's become associated with it but there's nothing wrong with saying this is the size I wear and I need to be able to find clothing in my size that's why that term exists so on top model for example just to use that some of the models that they would deem plus size would be an eight or a 10 they actually aren't plus size so I guess I can see why those people wouldn't want to be called plus size because technically they're not but those people have no right or position to be advocating for the removal of that word completely because it doesn't (laughs) apply to them because when they walk into a store they don't have to say do you have my size because for the most part stores do have their size. So it really is important that that word exists for people above a size 12 so we can find clothing in our size. So that's why that word exists. It's been misused, especially in the modeling industry. A lot of times people will use curve and curve is a way to describe models like above a size six. There's so many different terms, but I like to look at like what term you feel comfortable with is is a lot like your sexual orientation, the word you use to describe it, right? Like I am a person who's attracted to people of all genders. My husband is trans, but I've dated cis women and I've dated cis men. Like, so like, I am, I could consider myself bi or pan or queer. I use queer, but I'm fine with what, the other labels if that's what somebody wants to call me. And I feel the same way about the labels that I use for my body. Like I say fat because I love reclaiming a word that has been used to cause harm against my community, much like queer. I like using that word and reclaiming and taking the power away from it. So I use fat, but I also know that like my community might not be there with that word. So plus size is a little more palatable. I use plus size. Um, I don't like curvy because I think that it prioritizes like, like traditionally feminine shapes over other shapes. And it's just like, not really fair to, to people who, because people have all different body sizes, actually only 8% of women have a hourglass figure. It's like a really low amount, but, and we, we kind of like, to me, curvy still creates this type of aspirational beauty that I think is unnecessary. So yeah, yeah, so I, I don't like BBW. I think that's associated with sex, but at the end of the day, like People are going to call you what they're going to call you, larger bodied, heavy, whatever, you know, like 
I'm pretty much at this point, like I'm fine with whatever anybody else wants to call me. Um, but I have my preferences. And if you ask, which is great, I will tell you what they are. So yeah. And we, so like fat is the equivalent to like, for me, it's like faggot. It's like yes. just reclaiming it. And then it rubs some people the wrong way. However, you know, it's my story. It's my taking back of the word in a way. Right. And it's like on us to be like, oh, I don't think you are saying it in a way that feels good to me. You, you know what I mean? Right. It's not like, like, okay, everyone, like, let's all use that. Like, there <laughs> has to sort of be some like awareness of how we're using this, especially like for thin allies. Like, I would say for them, like, just stick to plus size for now. And like, let's work on us embracing that because there's so many people who fat still feels like such a harmful insult, but yeah. really fat is just a descriptor. It's just a word used to describe the size of your body. So, but not everybody feels that way still. So I try to like meet people where they're at and yeah, like we can use it, but like maybe as an ally, you should just use something that's a little more palatable for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> um, so we talked about labels very quickly. We mentioned it and I just wanted to dive in. So I've done my research. So at 21, you identified as fluid at 25, uh, you identified as bisexual. Now you are identifying as queer. Yes. I have a question. So, and tell me obviously if I'm crying too much, but in terms of these identities and the labels attached to it, did you feel as though you needed to plant a label on to kind of help explain what you were going through to society? Or was it like, you know what, I am, you know, I'm here now, and this is my understanding, and this is what I am. I only ask because, you know, when coming out for me personally, it's like, I was a bisexual man, because I was scared to admit that I was fully gay, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of adapting to society, because it was almost like a 50-50, you know what I mean? It wasn't as bad as being gay at the time, which is so awful to say. But I'm just mm -hmm. curious to know what your experiences with identifying these labels within the past 10 years. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think as soon as I found out that sexuality could be fluid, I knew that that fit for me. I never felt 100% straight or 100% gay. So I knew I was somewhere in the middle. And I just was like, okay, fluid is I don't have to determine where I am in the middle. Um, but to the outside world, I presented as straight, um, because I was still sort of figuring things out for myself. And you know, I think like going on my self love journey and learning to love my body really helped me to come out because I stopped kind of like dating and pursuing or being pursued by the people who were easiest and most accessible to me, which were cis men. And I finally was like, yeah, I'm like terrified to date women and trans men. I'm terrified of that because the stakes are so much higher because that's who I'm actually very attracted to. Right. So once I finally kind of was like, no, you are worthy, you're beautiful, you deserve it. That's when I was actually like, when I learned to love myself and love my body, that's when I was actually able to really start like coming more into my sexuality because I was able to realize like, no, you don't have to settle for like who likes you and what's easiest. Like, yeah, you might like swipe a million times on tinder before a girl like likes you back but like you're gonna do it you're gonna do it you're just gonna face it and it doesn't matter how scary or how high the stakes feel because this is what feels true and genuine to you um so I think like for me yeah it was just a process of my, my coming out process was like learning to love myself learning that I was worthy of like the love that I wanted from others and then just pursuing it 
wholeheartedly. And, you know, I think for me, being bi was not necessarily a phase. Um, It's just because I consider my sexuality to be fluid. It's just not my preferred word, but it is probably the word that still fits best. um, Because it fits best other than queer. Queer to me fits best because of the fluidity that it represents. But, but yeah, bi is still accurate. So for me, being bi is, is not a phase. And, and sometimes there's still a lot of times where I feel like if, Damn, if I was just a lesbian, it would be easier to be in the LGBTQ community. And that is quite sadly still very true. Um, There's a lot of biphobia in this community because, you know, there's, there's, women who will not date someone who's who's bi there are people i definitely experienced this when i was coming out it's like oh you're not a gold star lesbian like i'm not interested um and that is very persistent and i don't ever want to like talk down about the community but yeah we need to work on that um from firsthand experience um and like let people be who who they want to be you know so and like you know lesbians who transition they're they're not traitors like they're becoming their authentic selves and like there's nothing there's nothing wrong you know with that so so yeah for me I'm just like I I love who I love you know and I I married a trans man I could have easily married a cis woman you know for me I'm just like I love who I love so yeah so being bi was was not a phase for me but I like queer because I feel like bi still had and we're working on this I guess but like it still has that connotation of like one or the other and I don't like that I like all and and fluid and more so yeah so I'm like this is a long answer to probably a short question but yeah (laughs) I like the fluidity of it that part really hasn't changed like the words that I used somewhat changed but I'd still use all those words for me the journey was much more self-acceptance and then like yeah I don't really care what you think and I know that queer is not the easiest word for you all to understand bi would be much easier for people to understand but queer is the word that feels the best to me so I'm going to use that and I'll explain it as many times as you want but that's what I like to use so right no I love (laughs) that I love that because it's almost like you have to go inward and it sounds a super quote RuPaul but you really have to figure out loving yourself, figuring out what you love before you can start kind of communicating those wants, needs, and love. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know I love that. Okay, so now let's shift gears to social media because you, like I said, have built such a successful brand around LGBT travel, body positivity, being queer. How often are you on social media? Would you say daily? I mean, hours. When I look at my screen time, I feel attacked every day. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm, I spend hours on social media. It is my job, but it's also something that brings me joy. That's not to say it brings me joy all the time. I've been trolled plenty of times, but, but yeah, it's, it's part of my job. So I do spend a a lot of time on there. And I think really to build a strong community, you need to, you need to know it and you need to be responsive. And people are always like, I can't believe you responded to me. And I'm like, why wouldn't I respond to you? Like literally someone was like, not today, not to be a creep, but here's a TikTok of someone building a shrine to Dolly Parton. And I thought you would like it. And I was like, oh my God, I love this. Thank you so much. Like, please send me a video (laughs) of someone building a shrine to Dolly Parton. That's absolutely very me. So like, yeah, I'm on social media a lot. Sometimes it bothers my, my in real life loved ones, but yeah, it's, it's part of my job. So I spend a lot of time online just trying to make sure that I'm engaging in and getting to know my community. And, and also like, listening I'm not just like actively always like putting my opinion out there I'm trying to read and listen so that I can understand um, and share what others are saying as well 
Right. It's like a learning tool as well. And it does help you understand and build your brand stronger. So you mentioned two things. So you mentioned trolls. So I'm, I, I see the outpour of love, um, on your page, but how do you kind of handle these, like, you know, these faceless profiles, these, you know, they're literally a photo of Dolly Parton with two followers, you know, spewing negativity. What is your kind of, first of all, I would think no one with a photo of Dolly Parton would ever spew negativity. But yeah, right. no, some, I've literally been trolled by like someone's dog's account. Yes. And I'm, like, I'm literally being trolled by a dog right now. Like <laughs> you don't even have the guts to use your own profile. Right. Using your poor innocent dog's profile to tell me that you think I'm a cow and all this stuff. And it's just like, you know, when, when Instagram first started, I don't want to say there, there was less people who looked like me on it, but that, that is true. There were right. less plus size folks on the platform. And so we definitely received a lot more hate. And back when I started like in 2012, like there was no comment filters. Like now you can't leave the pig emoji on my page. I've blocked it. Like there's just, right. it's unfortunate. Maybe one day I'll post a picture with an actual pig and it'll be cute and you'll be able to comment <laughs> with the pig emoji. But for the most part, it just wasn't necessary. So yeah, so I have comment filters on. Those didn't exist before. And in general, like, you know, the, it felt like before when Instagram first started in 2012, it was definitely like the wild, wild west. And people would just look at your hashtags, like j- certain hashtags would get trolled mm-hmm. to the point where like they removed the curvy hashtag because they thought it was too sexual. And, it, and, and like people were getting like, people were getting their images removed from Instagram because Instagram's AI thought that they were naked when really like they just like we just have more skin showing because like we're bigger people so I mean that still happens by the way but like it's been a ride for sure so you know I always try to explain to people like I've been on here for a long time things have changed like I have I I remember I hit 10k in 2014 so I've been on Instagram for a long time with like somewhat of I mean not that that's that's not the following I have now. I have a bigger following than that now, but I've had somewhat of a big following for a long time. So I've kind of seen a lot in the, in the way of trolls and things have gotten better. I will say. Good. The, so, yeah. Yeah. That makes me happy. And yeah, I, I guess Instagram has kind of, you know, kept up with the ways and now we have, um, you know, tools and resources to kind of just block yourself from all of these haters. Yeah. And then, I mean, the last piece about social media is that, you know, we hear like the most sought out careers to be a YouTuber or an influencer or a TikToker. How do you maintain kind of the balance of like the real world and the social media world? Because in my opinion, I feel like it's two different realities in a way. Um, but what's your perspective on that? And then how do you maintain a balance if you feel the need to? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I actually was invited last year to speak uh, to a group of third graders because for their career day, they wanted a YouTuber to come speak to them. So oh I I know. And they were like, did you think you were going to be a YouTuber and influencer when you were our age? And I was like, first of all, the internet like barely existed. Yeah. I'm 32 years old. So yeah, that was really funny. They like couldn't imagine that this career like didn't exist. But yeah, no, I I think it's a really interesting career and that like we're sort of the first generation of people doing this job. Obviously, marketing is is not new, but marketing that's so tied to your personal life is new. And, you know, there's not like a blueprint for how to how to do this. And I think that we're still figuring it out every single day. So what I would tell people who want to be influencers is that 
one, you better get a tough skin because um, people are cruel and you need to be ready to have your like life picked apart at some points. Um, but also like, yeah, it will be extremely rewarding. Um, but it's, it's not easy. Like people are like, oh my God, it's so glamorous. I wish packages just showed up in my house with, with gifts for me. And then I'm like, yeah, but that's great. Like, I'm not complaining that I get PR packages, but like, there's a responsibility and an expectation that comes right. with it. And, um, there's a lot of people who ex- have expectations and responsibilities. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not easy. And I just want people to know that it is work. And for probably every you know, one person that's successful, there's hundreds of others that are like, you know, not really figuring it out. So if you're, I think my best advice would just be to just be yourself, but go in there with boundaries, not just for yourself, but also for your loved ones. You know, I shared a lot of my wedding on my um, channel and I'm not sure I would do that again. I will say that. Um, okay. So, so yeah, you know, I'm, I'm so glad I had some really amazing partners, but it put added pressure on my wedding day. That was like already really stressful. So it's like working on your wedding. Yeah. I had like deliverables on my wedding day, which like, again, is not necessarily like I did that to myself. It was my choice and it allowed me to have the wedding that I wanted, but it created added stress. And, you know, especially when things are not just happening to you and they're happening to your loved ones, like you need to involve your loved ones in that conversation. Um, so you know, I do, I've done campaigns with my mom and my best friend and obviously my husband and, and, and things like that. But like, this is your life and your career. You cannot expect them to like, want to be a part of it with you. Um, so yeah, that's a big thing, I guess, just communicate, like know your boundaries and then know your loved ones boundaries as well. Yeah. That's actually a really tangible tip. I didn't, you don't think about it, you know, you're just posting, but you're really exposing all your loved ones too to the platform and what you're doing. So that yeah, makes sense. They didn't sign up for that. You know, right. like my platform, I've had it for so long. Like they didn't sign up for that necessarily. So, um, and yeah, like I've done events where my mom is there and people will ask my mom questions and she's like, how did you know that? And I'm like, Ooh, they know it. Cause I said, I said something, you know, right. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I got to think about that. You know, it's not just, it's not just your platform. Um, when you need to like, you know, even with like my nephews, like I never share their names. I just say my nephews, you know, straight, yeah. and intentional. Like, so I try to really think through everything and yeah, I, I'm glad I was like not in a relationship or I didn't have nephews in my life, but like any of that stuff when I first started, cause I don't think I would have thought through it in the same way. So I'm glad I'm a little bit older now that I'm kind of in this position. So yeah, you're adapting to the times. Yes. Okay, so I want to talk about this concept of spirituality and not more so, you know, like uh, religion or, you know, meditation that could be a part of your spiritual practice, but more so kind of your mantras and things that you live by, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So last year was a crazy year, uh, 2020. Yeah. We're never going to forget it. How did you say sane and how did you have to adapt kind of your mindset? Well, first of all, thank you for thinking that I stayed sane because I think of it. Um, I definitely felt like I had many breakdowns throughout the year for different things. Um, I mean, I had anxiety and depression. I've had it, you know, been diagnosed for, you know, most of my twenties and now thirties. So it's not like I acquired new mental illnesses, but I would definitely say they were amplified in new ways that I hadn't really prepared for. Um, so yeah, the, the isolation, 
from other people other than the people I live with. That, you know, was something that I wasn't prepared for. And then for me, one of the things that really was really hard for me was that I, one of the things that brings me a lot of joy is planning travel. And I couldn't do that. And that was so hard for me. And I understand that that's like an incredibly privileged thing to say, because there are so many people who, who can't travel for, for a number of reasons. So I totally understand that. Like I come from a place of privilege saying that, but, but that was something that I really enjoyed. And I, I had said going into 2020 that, uh, this is going to be my year where I really become known for being a travel blogger. And it's like funny now, but it actually did happen in its own way. Um, because I was able to, um, go on some road trips and work with some new brands that I hadn't before. So that, that did happen. So I guess I stayed sane ish by, um, getting creative and just making sure that I didn't, that like things didn't go the way that I thought that they would. And, um, I had to be adaptable. So yeah, 2020 was not the year that I went to five new countries. I literally had that on my list, which is hilarious. Um, (laughs) it, it was instead the year that I like literally went to 10 new States and that's really cool. Like, so I think just being adaptable really kept me sane because I never liked car trips and I like literally went to all these different states I would have never gone to had it not um, been the year that it was. So, so yeah, I think that there's beauty in um, not following your plan and, and doing a little pivot and finding something else that's just as, just as fun, maybe or more. Yeah. No. Yeah. And um, your travel content is really cool. Just in terms of, you know, incorporating, I think a lot of people think of like travel vloggers is like, look at me, I'm in this really cool place. But what I like is that you're really being intentional about sharing kind of things for our community. You know what I mean? Because it's sometimes harder for us to travel to certain places. Oh, I mean, it absolutely is. There's still 70 countries where like you, it's illegal to be LGBTQ. So that's definitely, um, and you know, just traveling around the country, there are certain places where I was like, yeah, I don't necessarily want to out myself here. And that's in the States. So, um, so yeah, it was, it's definitely opened my eyes up and I try to be sensitive as a person who, could be in a straight passing relationship. Um, and also like as a person who's plus size, I try to like really kind of think through maybe what other people are going through. And then also, yeah, what I experience in terms of accessibility with travel. So yeah, I try to look at it from a number of angles. Right. No, I appreciate that. Okay. So what was kind of your big kind of takeaway? I feel like throughout this kind of chaos in 2020 and, uh, international pandemic, there's like these nugs of like, you know, like a strong takeaway that kind of changes you? Do you have like kind of a breakthrough moment or a takeaway? Wow. I'm not sure. I feel like I've not recovered yet to like, have a. you know, like you got to like really like get through it to be like, yeah, that was the lesson I learned, that terrible experience. But yeah, no, I think my lesson that I, that I learned is that I am stronger than I, than I thought that I was, um, this year pushed and challenged a lot of people. I mean, there was one weekend where a lot of the event, a lot of the things that I had booked for 2020 in March were events, um, and prides. And obviously those did not happen. Um, and so there was one, weekend where I talked to a campaign manager on a Friday and by Monday she was fired and her their whole marketing department was gone and that I just lost like 90% of my business in like a matter of a week and that was like really really hard 
And, you know, not to say like, you know, being an influencer is a weird job in the first place. I'm like not saying that like there weren't other industries that were more impacted, but, but yeah, it was hard because people were like, what are you going to do at your house? And I'm like, well, I'm going to take a picture in a ball gown on my porch, obviously, you know, like, (laughs) I think, I think it showed me that like, I can be adaptable. And I, what I can, what I had control over was building relationships. And as soon as some travel was allowed, those relationships all came into play. And they, that's what has made the second half, the, what made the latter half of 2020, like one of my best ever. So I think just using that downtime in early 2020 to build relationships and say like, Hey, I'm here as a resource. What do you need? Let's work together to brainstorm what your business needs. And, and, and just being that resource for people then when they did have budgets again, and when things started to being, when travel started opening up a little bit more, people thought of me. And so that was really cool. So I guess just, yeah, don't be afraid people are always like don't work for free and I'm like the caveat to that is like yeah sometimes like people genuinely don't have a budget and there is something that you can mutually there can be something mutually beneficial from that relationship so build relationships like get to know people and use your time um use your time wisely but also like if you using your time wisely can also be binge watching whatever you want you know right. like really watching all, all christmas movies that is that is a worthy use of your time you know what i mean so like yeah prioritize your self-care because you're feeling the weight of a global pandemic so you're doing great whatever you're doing you're doing amazing so yep. i co-sign that hard <laughs> Well, thank you so much for taking the time. You dropped so much like wisdom here. I'm like very, very, very thankful for you taking the time to speak to me today. Where can people tap into your world? You have a beautiful website. Drop your social handles. How can they get in and get ready to stare? Yes. Well, they can get ready to stare at readytostare.com. Um, from there, you can find me pretty much across social media as at ready to stare. And that's T-O, not the number two. So I always tell people that if they're, if I'm on a podcast such as this, I always spell it out. T-O, ready to stare. Um, I'm on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Pinterest, uh, Twitter. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. What an absolute treasure she is. I mean, when we were thinking about kind of guests that we wanted for the show, I was a little bit nervous because I've never met her before, you know, but as you heard, she's so easy to talk to. The nuggets of information she dropped were really insightful. And, you know, I just love seeing members of the LGBT community really just hustle. It's really, really inspiring. And I hope you guys check out her stuff because she really is putting in the work. But yeah, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Queer Lenio Report on Thirst. I am your host, Neil Joshua. You can follow me at Neil Joshua on Instagram, Twitter, and now the TikTok. And if you really are looking for something to provide you with the summer essentials to have yourself a hot boy summer, please check out the Thirst Boy box. You can follow and get more information at Thirst Boy on Instagram or www.thirstboy.com. Once again, all those links will be in the description of this episode. I'm sending you nothing but love and light. And always remember, the thirst is real. 